The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Buyers in the driver's seat as global stocks stage a massive comeback. Futures looking to extend those Tuesday turnaround gains today into Wednesday. Sticking with that rally, it's not just tech. And blue chips getting a midsummer bump. Small caps are also surging and doing something for the first time since January. And call it a shrinking subscriber crisis. Shares of Netflix popping in the pre-market trade, coming up short of its own dismal expectations for its most recent quarter. But with the stock down 70% this year, it's not out of the woods just yet. Plus, European policymakers getting set to present an emergency plan to deal with the global energy crisis and Russia's future role as a primary fuel supplier for the bloc. Our own Brian Sullivan is live on the ground with what's at stake in Europe. And then later on, Kathy Wood admits defeat for at least one of her worst performing funds. It's Wednesday, July 20th, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to the show. I am Dominic Chu here at CNBC Global Headquarters. Brian Sullivan, as you can see there, is in Langenfeld, Germany, with a first-hand look at the European energy crisis and the possible natural gas cliff facing not only Germany, but the entire continent as well. Brian, you're wearing a hard hat. Yeah, we're here at the Schmiescast Foundry, a 60-year-old family-run foundry. And why are we here, Dom? We're here because what we're going to do all show long and all day long on CNBC is we're going to connect the dots from the energy crisis and the Nord Stream 1 pipelines hoped for restart tomorrow and why our U.S. audience, U.S. markets care. We're going to go from there through here using this as the storytelling machine to get to why it matters to the United States as well. And I'm going to give you, Dom, my friend, a hot take to start the show as everybody's waking up. I believe, and I'll fight you on it if you don't, I believe that a little pressure test, which we'll talk about in a few minutes here, a little pressure test on the Nord Stream 1 pipeline is one of the main reasons the stock market rallied yesterday. We could talk about it later on, but we are live all hour in this amazing facility to connect the dots and why tomorrow, honestly, maybe one of the most critical days for the U.S. and global stock markets this year. All right, Brian Sullivan, we'll come back to you throughout the course of the show today for the updates on that European energy crisis that's brewing. Let's kick things off now on Wednesday morning with your U.S. stock futures picture. We are looking to possibly extend some gains, albeit modestly. All right, the Dow is implied higher by 30 points, the S&P up by about five, and the Nasdaq up by a very, yes, modest 35 points. But this is all after a broad-based rally yesterday that saw every major index rising roughly 2.5% or more. The Dow, the S&P, and Nasdaq all posting their best day since late June. But this week, it's the small cap Russell 2000 index that's outperforming the lot, coming off its best day since January with a more than 3% gain 
Over the last week, it's up more than 4%. And in a month, topping returns from both the Dow and the S&P 500. So keep an eye on those small cap stocks. Maybe an economic indicator, forward looking. In the bond market right now, yields are moving, although we are seeing a little bit more activity with regard to that 10-year side of things. You can, I'll show them to you in a second if they're going to go, but they're not cycling through. A little bit lower in terms of 10-year note yields, just about 2.99%. The two-year note yield about 3.19%. So that inversion is still in place where long-term rates are right now below short-term ones. We'll keep an eye on that. In the oil market, crude hovering right around $100 a barrel for U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate, or WTI. You can see they're down about three-quarters of 1%, $103.40. Ice Brent crude futures, the world benchmark gauge. $186.48. That's down about three quarters of 1% as well. And that gas price is down half a percent, $7.23. In crypto, we are seeing Bitcoin and Ether trying to hold certain levels here. It's a little bit more modest in terms of moves. We're down about one third of 1% in Bitcoin prices, 23411 the last trade there. Ether is currently down 2%, but it's been an outperformer as of late. The last trade there is $1,535.61. Green arrows around the world as well right now. Let's check in with our Juliana Tattlebaum, who's live in London with the latest there. Good morning, Juliana. Dom, good morning. Well, that positive sentiment that you saw on Wall Street yesterday, that mammoth rally, seems to be having an impact uh, on trade around the world. In Asia overnight, it was green across the board. In particular, the Japanese market, Nikkei 225, ending 2.7% higher. We also saw some decent gains for the Hang Seng in Hong Kong, up 1.1%. A little more modest in China, where COVID concerns continue to um, be part of the market narrative. But even the Shanghai Composite ended about 0.8% lower. Similar story in in Europe, where we do have a lot of green arrows on the board, for the most part, uh, we are seeing stocks move higher. The Spanish market, the only exception, down just slightly. So we are seeing investors hold on to the gains seen yesterday. It was a strong session here in Europe, not quite as strong as you saw stateside, but still the stock 600 gained about 1.4%, and the German market gained 2.7% on those hopes that we could see gas flows resume from Russia into Europe. I want to also take you to fixed income markets where Italian bonds are in focus this morning. All eyes on Mario Draghi this morning. He addressed the Senate in Italy and he did not tender his resignation. He instead called for unity. The Italian government is on the brink of collapse right now. But as of now, Mario Draghi has suggested he is going to remain in place and he is going to attempt to bring unity back to Italy. So as a result, we are seeing Italian bond yields rally, yields moving lower, prices moving higher. The 10-year is trading around 3.3%. Dom, back over to you. Juliana Tettelbaum, thank you very much for that. Let's get a check on this morning's top stock story, which is Netflix. It's shrinking subscriber crisis looking not as bad as once feared. Talk about setting the bar extremely low, though. Silvana Hillenau is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Dom. Good morning. Yep, that's right. So shares of Netflix are higher ahead of the open after reporting it lost about 1 million subscribers in its most recent quarter. And that was far less than the 2 million it had forecast back in April. Now, still, this is the first time in the company's history that it's reported back-to-back quarterly subscriber losses. Here's Netflix co-CEO Reed Hastings on the call last night. We're executing really well on the content side, obviously, uh, Ozark, um, Stranger Things, uh, lots of titles, <clears throat> lots of viewing. Um, we're improving the, 
the everything we do around marketing, improving the service, the merchandising, and you know all of that slowly pays off. If there was a single thing, we might say uh, Stranger Things, but again, we're talking about you know losing one million instead of losing two million. So, you know, our excitement is tempered by you know the less less bad results. Other highlights from the quarter, Netflix estimates it will add 1 million net new subscribers in the current quarter versus street estimates calling for 1.8 million new signups. It says it's acquiring animation studio Animal Logic to help accelerate development of animated productions. And as far as the ad-supported tier, Netflix says to expect that option in early 2023. Now, one major headwind for the quarter, and it's not just for Netflix, but for many international companies, currency pressures. Netflix blaming the rising dollar on weaker than expected current quarter sales and earnings forecast. The company saying, quote, we have high exposure to this unprecedented appreciation, the U.S. dollar, because nearly 60 percent of our revenue comes from outside the U.S., Dom. Something I'm sure we'll continue to hear. All right. Sylvain Hanel, thank you very much for the update on Netflix there. Right now to a developing story this morning. The clock is ticking on the restart of the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. Down for the past nine days for scheduled maintenance, with hopes that it will restart pumping natural gas to Germany again tomorrow. But with Western sanctions crushing Moscow amid the war in Ukraine and European Union leaders debating an emergency energy plan today, one that puts limits on Putin's influence on the bloc, ongoing questions as to whether Russia's pipeline power play could push the entire region off the proverbial gas cliff, so to speak. Let's send it out to our own Brian Sullivan again in Langenfeld, Germany, with the latest there. Hi, Brian. Hey, Dom. Yeah, and maybe that that gas cliff might actually be a global glass gas cliff because it's not just Germany. Germany here could send the entire European economy over the edge. Here's why. If the Nord Stream 1 pipeline does not start to reflow tomorrow or Friday or in the next couple of days at some significant level, then you're not going to have enough gas to basically run the German economy. And the German government is probably going to move into what they call an emergency phase where they will effectively then have to choose which companies or which industries like steelmaking, where we are, are deemed critical enough to stay open. Now, there was a very positive sign that happened yesterday. Some gas did flow through the Nord Stream 1. It was just a pressure test, but it's a good sign. We're going to talk more about that with Antoine Happ in a couple of moments. But overnight in Iran, Vladimir Putin, who made his first overseas trip since launching his war this year, made some comments that while Gazprom, which runs the Nord Stream pipeline, does want to fulfill its contract to send the gas, there could be even more maintenance problems. And I'm doing air quotes if you can't see me with yet another turbine next week. Remember, one was sent out to Canada to be repaired. It's basically on its way back, hopefully up and running tomorrow. Vladimir Putin last night saying, well, there's another turbine that may have problems. By the way, we have a comment out for Siemens. They're the ones that make the turbines. Why is this so important? All right, Germany is racing right now to fill up its natural gas storage ahead of the winter. It is at about 65%. It wants 80, preferably 90% minimum by November 1st to make sure that people can heat their homes. And right now, there is currently no gas flowing into Germany by any pipeline, period, zero. And with the recent heat wave, they're actually drawing down natural gas because while air conditioning DOM is not as used here as it is overseas, they do use it here. And so they're actually drawing down gas and none is coming in. So that's why this is such a critical time. 
I do leave you this. There's a positive sign, that pressure test yesterday. And coming up in a couple of minutes, we're going to show you the four scenarios of what could happen tomorrow with the Nord Stream 1 pipeline and, more importantly, what Wall Street is saying the market reaction may be. Because, as I said at the top of the show, I think it did have a positive impact on the stock markets yesterday as well, Dom. And I think that, likewise, if we don't get a turn on, if we don't see an indication from Putin, it could have the exact opposite impact. Arguably, tomorrow may be one of the most important days for the U.S. and global stock markets of the year. All right, Brian, an an interesting story for sure there. We'll check back with you in just a few moments here. Thank you very much for that. Let's get down to the markets looking to build on Tuesday. Solid turnaround with all three indexes logging their best one-day point gain and percentage gains in about a month. Delano Sapporo is the founder and CEO of New Street Advisors. He's also a CNBC contributor. Uh, Delano, I heard Brian's report here on, on what's happening with the energy crisis in Europe. Do you feel as though there was some kind of at least positivity drifting around that story that a little bit of gas was flowing through Nord Stream? Dom, thanks for having me on. Fascinating story um, from Brian and reporting over there. Um, I think, you know, the big thing I was focused on was earnings. Um, You know, I think there is a little bit of positivity coming from that story, but the big thing I was focused on was corporate earnings uh, domestically and what was going on. As you just mentioned, all three indexes were above their their 50-day moving average. And the NASDAQ yesterday had its best percentage move since June 24th. So I think, you know, a big part of that was how companies are able to manage costs right now and net profit margins, you know, even looking out, projecting uh, the next two quarters um, from analysts, it's showing that they're still going to be high. And in a high inflationary environment, high cost environment, seeing different geopolitical things happening across the globe um, for companies to still report strong earnings. I think the investors needed that and needed a solid story and theme uh, for us to actually have a positive day. Um, And that's kind of what we did uh, yesterday. And we're showing, you know, a little bit early this morning that we're slightly holding on to those gains. But we'll have to see how it plays out uh, for the trading day. Delano, it sure sounds like you're you're positive, at least a little bit, maybe even constructive on the markets right now. You, You see more bullish on the fundamentals picture. That being said, if I'm reading you correctly, what are you what are you buying? I mean, what do you go into? Is, is it Netflix? Is it all clear? Is it technology? Is it still oil and gas? What is it? Yeah, Dan, you, you're 100% more positive, and that's because of the value right now. The forward P ratio of 15.8 times the S&P, which is five, you know, below the five-year moving average for the forward PE, that's those are solid signs for people that are looking for value in the market. Um, and obviously, we keep mentioning that, you know, near term, we're, we're still not rate raising environment. Uh, we're still moving liquidity out of the market. There's going to be, you know, you know, rough times still ahead for growth um, and tech investors. But, you know, as you mentioned, I'm still buying, you know, still staying defensive. We're still raising cash. Uh, we're still holding on to our long growth positions and adding in certain situations. And if you want to continue to stay defensive, of course, energy is there and healthcare is there for investors. Um, but, you know, it, it's really, you know, more to be seen. Patience is, is really a virtue here in this certain type of market because there's more economic, uh, more of an economic backdrop that still spells um, some potential trouble ahead. Uh, still a confusing market picture, it sounds like, though you're still constructive, Delano. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. When we come back on the show, much more on the European energy crisis and what a failed pipeline restart could mean for markets, not just in Europe, but around the world as well. We've got EQT CEO Toby Rice. He's going to be here later on, plus a closer look at Netflix as that stock pops ahead of the opening bell. Talk about stepping over an extremely low bar, though. The shares are off their pre-market highs. And then later on, call it a Kathy Wood closure, what she is doing in the face of some dwindling returns for one of her ETFs. 
You've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this commercial break. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Brian Sullivan here at the Schmiescast Steel Foundry in Langenfeld, Germany. And we're here to tell the story about the European gas crisis and the Nord Stream 1's expected, hoped for, restart tomorrow. And we are here at this particular place to connect the dots between what happens with the pipeline, matters to Germany, matters to all the economy, global supply chains, and the U.S. economy and stock market as well. All right, it's a very complicated story. It's a fluid story, I guess pun intended, and there's a lot of possible outcomes. So what we did is we took all the known research and sort of aggregated it into four possible scenarios and their likely outcomes when the Nord Stream is expected to be turned on tomorrow. Number one, best case, it is turned on and the flow is above the 40% level it was before it shut off. Markets probably rally, the euro strengthens. I think that was a big part of what happened to the market yesterday. Scenario two is that we see a flow, but the flow starts reduced, either 40% or less than where it was before. So you get a little bit of gas, but not really enough to fill the tanks. That's kind of a still, let's wait and see. Putin continues to play games with us, kind of world on a string. Markets may be flat. Scenario three, the Nord Stream 1 does not start tomorrow, but... There is a timeline given by Gazprom and Nord Stream. Okay, we'll start Friday. We'll start Saturday. So there's the indication that it will start. I think markets could be a little bit wobbly on that. Scenario four, and this is the one that we want to avoid. Scenario four is the Nord Stream pipeline does not restart, and there is no indication of a timeline of when that is going to happen. I think everything that we are reading talks about if that is the case, if we get scenario four, Then we could see global markets, U.S. markets as well, drop. The euro drops. Credit markets get the spreads widened. And we might even have a sovereign debt crisis on our hands if that no flow goes on long enough. All right, that's enough of my opinion. Let's get somebody who knows a lot more than me, and that is Antoine Half. He is former chief oil analyst at the International Energy Agency. He is also the co-founder and chief analyst at Kerios. That is a climate and energy data analytics firm. Antoine Really critical time to have you on. Thank you very much. We did get a little bit of a pressure test on the Nord Stream 1 yesterday, a little bit of a flow. What is your expectation in those scenarios about the one that is most likely to occur tomorrow? 
Right. Well, I, I think you said it. Uh, the suspense is on. It's very hard to predict. Of all the four scenarios you, you laid out, I think I would bet on two or three. I would rule out one and rule out four, not very firmly. But I think the idea is to keep Europe on, the, on its toes and to divide European support for Ukraine. So this cannot be achieved by cutting off supplies entirely now. That would just galvanize uh, support for Ukraine and uh, opposition to Russia. The idea is to break down the, the wall of European um, opposition and, and support to Ukraine. So it's two, a reduced flow, uh, or, or three, uh, a delay, but a delayed, uh, a restart okay. and a delayed restart. You're saying some big things, Antoine, that Putin may be using this pipeline and energy as a wedge to almost break Europe up from an economic perspective. So that in mind, why do you, why do you think scenario four is, is highly unlikely? Well, you know, four could obviously happen, but I think this is something that Putin could have uh, at his uh, disposal in the event of a failure to break down European support for Ukraine. So the idea now, I think, is to apply pressure, to erode European unity, to, to drive a wedge between European countries like he did before in March when he asked for Google payment. Uh, the idea is not to, to punish and to undermine the European economy just yet. That would happen if European support for Ukraine persisted. And then I think we would have a stronger likelihood of a complete break in exports to punish uh, Europe, to uh, hurt the European population yeah. uh, and to, to, uh, to undermine the European economies. And one of the reasons that we're here in this steel mill is because we're trying to connect the dots. If there is a reduced or no gas flow, if the German government says to industry, I'm sorry, we have to save gas for hospitals and nursing homes and people's homes in the winter. You need to shut down. If a place like this place, Schmiescast in Langenfeld, Germany, Antoine, is forced to shut down for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, the entire global supply chain is going to be affected. They, they make parts here for oil and gas, for hydraulic fracturing, for pumping, for all kinds of different components. And, and that seems to be the global market risk, is it not? Why the American audience right now is saying, why do we care? You care because this is the fourth biggest economy in the world. And if we get a shutdown here, that's a seismic shock to the global markets, is it not? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a very big shock. And I, I'm not sure we have fully uh, appreciated how big a shock it is just yet. Uh, you know, if we have a shortfall of gas supplies in Germany, the likelihood of having to, to ration uh, supplies to various sectors is going to be very strong. We're going to have to prioritize and decide which sectors get gas, which don't. Uh, presumably, residential consumers are going to be prioritized. Uh, but the, the ripple effects are very deep. And, you know, whatever happens yeah. in Germany affects the rest of the world at large. The rest of Europe, for sure, but uh, as far yeah. as the U.S. and the world. And uh, we're going to say goodbye, Antoine, but I want our viewers, I know it's early out, out in the United States, to put their head around that. The German economy is not as big as the U.S. economy, but it's one of the biggest in the world. And can you imagine if the government went to California and said, you got to shut down these industries, but not these industries, this, but not that. It is nearly impossible. The executives I've talked to here and elsewhere say, how do you pick? How do you know? Antoine Half, thank you very much, folks. We have got a lot more to do, not just in worldwide exchange, but all day long here in CNBC in Germany, connecting the dots tomorrow, a massive day for Germany. Europe, and really the world with that Nord Stream pipeline. We'll talk about it, by the way, in demand for U.S. natural gas with one of our favorite guests.
Toby Rice, CEO of EQT. Red hot stock as well, by the way. It's red hot in here. Heat wave, and we're literally inside of a blast furnace. We do it for you, folks, and we're back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. First up, you've got CalMain Foods, the top U.S. egg producer, swinging to a fourth quarter profit as average prices rose nearly 30%. Earnings and revenues beating forecasts as well there. The company says it saw higher feed costs in the quarter and expects pricing pressures and volatility to affect costs next year. Those shares up about a percent right now pre-market. Stock number two is J.B. Hunt, the trucking and logistics company, reporting better than expected second quarter results as revenues rose 32 percent. J.B. Hunt says it's still navigating supply chain issues, mostly at ports and on the rails but believes customers are prepared to have a good second half of the year. J.B. Hunt down about a percent pre-market. And then finally, we're watching shares of IBM. It was one of the nine, only nine S&P 500 stocks that didn't get the memo about the big market rally yesterday as it fell more than 5% on the heels of earnings. This morning, though, we're up about one quarter of 1%. IBM reported solid second quarter results on Monday, but warned currency headwinds could cut revenues by 6% this coming year. And CEO Arvind Krishna spoke about the effect of the strong dollar in an interview with Jim Cramer on Mad Money last night. You can look at Western Europe, you can look at the United Kingdom, you can look at Japan. These are all countries that we love to be in, we're going to continue to be in. But we have revenue in local currency, we have some expenses in local currency, but a lot of the products we make are coming to the United States. So then there we suffer a a profit issue. By the way, I think it's a short-term issue. I don't think the dollar is going to strengthen more. So it's a a one-year issue. All right, Big Blue still trying to shake things off. Still on deck for the show, Kathy Woods Ark Invest suffering another black eye as it decides to pull the plug on its thematic funds, at least one of them. We'll have that story coming up. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Dominic Chu here at CNBC Global Headquarters. Brian Sullivan, as you can see there, is in Langenfeld, Germany, with a first-hand look at the European energy crisis and the possible natural gas cliff facing not just Germany, but the entire continent over there. We'll have more on that story in just a moment. But first, stock futures are looking kind of a little bit more positive halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. The Dow is implied higher by roughly 30 points. The S&P would be up by about four points, and then the Nasdaq up by about 33, this after big gains in yesterday's session. So let's get a check on some of the top morning's stories here with Silvana Hinao. She's here with those. Good morning, Silvana. 
Dom, good morning. Dom, that bipartisan bill to provide billions in subsidies and tax credits to the semiconductor industry is one step closer to being approved by the Senate. Lawmakers in that chamber voting 64 to 34 for that bill to clear a procedural hurdle. Final details are still being worked out, but the slimmed-down bill would provide roughly $52 billion in subsidies to encourage chip companies to boost production right here in the U.S. Australia is launching the first major review of its central bank in decades as it faces criticism for delaying interest rate hikes to address inflation. The review could result in the first major restructuring of the Reserve Bank of Australia since the 90s. A final report and recommendations are due in March. And Kathy Wood's ARK Invest is shutting down one of its funds. The ARK Transparency ETF, which launched just in December and includes the 100 most transparent global companies, will close later this month, according to a regulatory filing. And Dom, the shutdown marks the first fund closure for Wood since she launched her firm back in 2014. An interesting note there, Silvana, the, the index provider for that transparency fund is no longer providing the index. So that's also another reason why I think that they're shutting the yeah, fund down because they cannot, they cannot benchmark against exactly. anything anymore. All right, Silvana yep. Hinal, thank you very much you for that. Now to a developing story out of Europe. Leaders there racing to draw up emergency plans as questions remain on whether a key energy lifeline for the region will resume its operations tomorrow. That's where we find Brian Sullivan on the ground in Lagenfeld, Germany, tracking the latest developments and real-world implications and impacts. I'll send things over to you, Brian. Yeah, Dom, you know, these stories can be so big, so esoteric, so macro. We wanted to come here because we want to tell, number one, the human story and then a global economic story as well. And that's why we're in Schmee's cast here. This is a 60-year-old family-run foundry. Oscar, shoot everything but me. I'm sweaty and gross already. And these guys are, all, by the way, these guys are tough. They're working in this heat. It is hot in here. But this thing is about 1,600 degrees in this vat. I want to tell the human story about the energy crisis because these are the men and women, by the way, whose jobs, whose livelihoods are at risk if the gas gets cut off or even if the gas gets rationed. And it's not just here at Schmees. Multiply this by 1,000 or 10,000 companies across Germany, across Europe, across the United States, because the global supply chain implications. This is not fear-mongering. There have been reports, Deutsche Bank saying, that in a gas tap cutoff scenario, German GDP goes down 5%. BNP Paribas says there could be a massive hit to corporate earnings, maybe 15%. And uh, Oscar, there's something red hot right behind you. So I was doing that just to save your, save your behind, literally. These are parts, guys, that go into so many things that the supply chain for the world needs. I know this looks like a lot of metal, but these are parts for huge pumping engines that power fracking and hydropower and things that we never think about. So what I do want you to think about, Dom, is the people here at Schmee's Cast who are just hoping that they have enough gas, not only to heat their homes for the winter, obviously, but that this place does not have to shut down for a while they can continue to be paid, put food on the table. This is the human story of the games that Vladimir Putin is playing with Germany and all of Europe. And we appreciate them letting us in to their workplace. All right, Brian, it's certainly a human element there. And it's hard to believe that this, thing, this kind of thing can happen in the world's fourth biggest economy in a developed country as well. We'll, we'll come back to you later on, Brian. Thank you very much for that. 
Let's get to this morning's other big money mover. That's shares of Netflix popping ahead of the opening bell after overcoming an extremely low bar in expectations here. Reporting it lost, yes, lost about a million subscribers in its most recent quarter, but that was less than the two million that it had forecast to lose back in just April. Still, this is the first time in the company's history that it's reported back-to-back quarterly subscriber losses. Other highlights from the earnings call last night, Netflix estimates it will add Add, add 1 million new net subscribers in the current quarter versus three estimates calling for a 1.8 million sign up number. Dollar headwinds continue as well to hit its bottom line. Third quarter earnings per share forecasts are coming up short. And as far as the ad supported tier, Netflix says that's to be expected maybe in that option early in 2023. So joining me now is Sarah Fisher, media reporter over at Axios. Also, James Kakmak, partner and portfolio manager at Clockwise Capital. Uh, maybe, Sarah, we'll start with you with regard to the kind of overall theme and story for Netflix. Is this one that you feel, is, is it one that maybe gets people a little bit more excited about Netflix as a company again? Or is there still so much work and competition that it's going to take a lot longer? I think Netflix avoided the fire, but they still feel the heat. Right now, Netflix is in a position where they're no longer the clear and undefined winner for streaming for the foreseeable future. They have had the seat at the throne for so many years, Dom, but I think it's become apparent that increased competition is really starting to eat at their lead. Now, the thing that would make investors hopeful is that there are clear signs that the streaming ecosystem, the sandbox that Netflix is playing in, is really healthy and continuing to grow. But it used to be that even if that streaming ecosystem pie was smaller, Netflix captured the entire thing. And that made Wall Street really excited. Now, moving forward, I think it's pretty clear they're not going to capture the entire thing. And they might try to present metrics that make it seem like they're in the clear, you know, winning path. But the reality is, Dom, when they try to introduce their advertising tier next, uh, I think it's early 2023, it's not very clear, at least to me, that they're going to have some sort of clear advantage from the outset. You know, Disney's been doing advertising with Hulu, especially for so long. They're the clear winner. You have companies like Peacock who have the entire ad infrastructure of NBC Universal. Same thing goes with Paramount Plus. I really am concerned about Netflix's dominance for the foreseeable future. All right. So, so James, maybe all of this has been priced in, right? I mean, this is a stock that has lost 70 some percent of its value entering that earnings called yesterday and it's up about six percent right now it had been up about 13 percent right after the results came out it doesn't sound like some investors are convinced that this story is one that can really turn things around on a more secular basis i think you have to separate between the market and the netflix stock right now i think the tone of the market is shifting. i mean remember this is a company that's strictly traded on sub growth and now you have a declining sub base as well as downside to third quarter guidance, which would have been inconceivable to see a rising stock in the first half of this year. So expectations have come down. But I also think that you're seeing a better appreciation of the mean reversion of growth rates, which we've written about this year. Basically, you had this huge pull forward in demand. And it's not as much that the growth rates have come down structurally lower and the opportunity has come down. But rather, we're coming back to the original growth curves for the tech sector more broadly. But as far as Netflix is concerned, I do agree that the the road ahead is tough. I mean, the ad wars are real. And if you think about the differentiation between Netflix, 
versus a, a an Amazon, a Facebook, a Google, it's really not that much. And you can argue that Netflix is more akin uh, to, to the linear television. So I, I think that the roads ahead uh, are are not that easy uh, for Netflix, uh, even though you do have a pop in the stock here near term, given the lowered sentiment. James, could, could I follow up there uh, with regard sure. to uh, from an investor perspective, right? Yeah. Is when it comes to Netflix, is it though yeah. still is it a favorite of yours, or do you would you go somewhere else if you wanted that exposure to streaming content? Somewhere else. I mean, if we want exposure to streaming content, we'll go where we're involved, and and that's a company more like Spotify. I mean, really, what we see is a, a bifurcation between platforms and services. We think platforms will increasingly command premium valuations. That's the Amazon, the Facebook, Google. Uh, as well as you know, Spotify, which is morphing into a platform as they bring on the creator economy onto their platform. Netflix, on the other hand, is a service. So when you think about the longer-term valuations of these companies, I think that services will command lower valuations than what we've seen in the past. That's Netflix. And then platforms, on the other hand, will command more premium valuations. So we're not involved in Netflix. We are involved in Spotify. Um, but uh, you know, I think that near-term, Netflix, uh, just given the low expectations uh, of the market, um, you know, obviously the stock should benefit from that. All right, Sarah, we're going to give you the last word here. It, for, for, the, for the longest time, we talked about content as king and Netflix had all of it and it, it was producing all this great stuff and it was putting all this money behind it. Uh, how much more money can they put on this and, and, and can content really get them out of this hole that they're in right now? Content itself is not going to get them out of this hole. They said yesterday that the $17 billion that they are spending this year on content, that's going to remain in the same zip code, was the word that they used, for the foreseeable future for the next few years. And that's kind of stark, on because if you think about companies like Disney, they're spending $32 billion in content. And so Netflix, in my opinion, is going to have to figure out how do they increase their revenue maybe drive a little bit more investment in tech content if they want to be truly, truly competitive in the streaming wars. Yesterday, Reed Hastings sort of credited Stranger Things season four for the user growth bump. But let's be real, Dom, other than Stranger Things, what's the last big series that you coalesced around with your friends on Netflix? Sure. They're going to have to have hit after hit after hit. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do that if they're not keeping that uh, content budget increasing in the next few years. The debate rages on. Sarah Fisher, James Chuckmock, thank you guys very much. We appreciate the Netflix look there. Coming up on the show, an exclusive conversation with EQT CEO Toby Rice. The role companies like his could play in easing Europe's ongoing energy crisis and what he thinks leaders here and at home need to do to tackle the high cost for fuel. That's coming up next on Worldwide Exchange. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange, everybody, and good Wednesday morning. Okay, I think we just lost Brian Sullivan over there right now. All right, let's see if we can get the shot back up here. Brian, are you with us here? When no? Okay. When you're in a steel so mill, we're going to try to get Brian back from okay. Germany right no now. Shot. We're having some issues right now. So let's kind of see if we can work through those and we'll come back back after this break and see if we can get that connection back up again. We'll see you in a couple minutes. And welcome back to welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Hey, welcome back. And I'm back. If you can pull off a live show in a steel mill during a heat wave in Germany without a technical problem, then you're better than that. Okay, so here we go. We're back. 
And we want to talk about something that Germany has done right. Everybody is burying the German government for their short-sightedness, their addiction to Russian natural gas that has now put them in this precarious position. But what the German government has done is start importing or wanting to import a lot of American liquefied natural gas. This is a huge opportunity for American companies. Let's bring one in. EQT, the biggest producer of natural gas in the United States, CEO Toby Rice, one of our favorite guests, very vocal proponent for natural gas. Toby, everybody wants to bury the former Chancellor Angela Merkel. They say that Germany screwed up. They became addicted to Putin's gas. But to their credit, they're trying to get these LNG terminals up and running. They're buying these floating ships, regasification ships. How big of an opportunity is Germany in the near and medium term for American natural gas producers. Germany is a great example of how countries can receive new information, recognize the bad paths that that countries were going down, and redirect them to a better solution. And that better solution for their energy is going to be sourcing their energy from America. And we have an amazing solution to offer the world, not just Europe. We can increase our energy exports here in the United States by an incremental 50 BCF a day, that is the opportunity to quadruple our U.S. LNG exports. And that's going to have a tremendous influence in providing energy security and lower prices to our allies around the world. Well, OK, it's going to take a couple of years to get any kind of a, a hard built terminal. But what Germany and what what Minister Habeck did do pretty well, everybody here actually compliments him and they say, listen, we don't agree with all of his policies, but he secured the only four LNG ships, regasification ships in the world. He got all four and a fifth may be on the way. Do we have the U.S. infrastructure, the pipeline, the export capability, Toby, to give Germany, Poland and Europe all the natural gas they want, get them off of Russia and Putin longer term? The good news is we have one of the hardest things to, 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 to create, and that is we've got the natural gas resources here under our feet. In Appalachia, we've got natural gas resource reserves that are equivalent to larger than Russia. So we've got, we've got the gas. The question is, can we get this gas to market? And the only challenge that, that we face in getting this energy to our allies around the world is getting access to more pipelines and LNG infrastructure being built here in the United States. Now, that's a, that's been a challenge for us in the past, but uh, we're really excited to announce that today uh, that we've received some polling results from Americans and the results are very clear. Um, over 70 percent of Americans support increased natural gas production here in the United States. Over 73 percent of Americans understand and support the build out of more natural gas infrastructure yeah. so we can build these pipelines and energy facilities. And, and these voters are ready to take action. Over By a 33-point margin, voters are saying that they're more likely to vote for a political candidate that will support increasing natural gas production. So we've got the resource. We've got the support of the American people. Now it's just putting the, putting the, the pieces together so we can get this infrastructure built and get this yeah. energy to our allies. And this is maybe the most political of industries that we're talking about, not, not just, by the way, in the U.S. It's also, as I found out, Toby, firsthand, just as political here more than ever because of risks of places like this actually shutting down because of their policies getting addicted to Putin and his natural gas. And he's playing games with the tap now. Do you think have you been encouraged, Toby, by any of the, the communication that you have heard from the White House? They are clearly 
maybe not long term, but in the short term, they clearly seem to be softening their stance. Yeah, we have heard some conflicting messages, but it's been very encouraging to see that that President Biden has uh, uh, increased the commitment to supply Europe with, with energy. And listen, this administration is going to re re reflect the will of the people. And with these polling results to show that there is an overwhelming majority of support from Americans to increase natural gas production, um, it, it's a sign that, that the support is going to be there. And I expect uh, there's going to be an opportunity for us to facilitate and fast track our ability to meet the world demand for energy. Yeah, and, and that demand for natural gas is going to be there, Toby, because a place like this, they cannot run on renewable power. They need the natural gas to fire the turbines to melt the steel at 1,700 degrees. No other fuel will do that. Toby Rice, EQT, really appreciate it, my friend. Take care, Toby Rice. So, Dom, I'm just going to leave it with that. Listen, we talk a lot about wind and solar. Germany is a leader in renewables, and renewables are doing a great job in many ways. The reason we're here, though, is that there are certain industries like this that, like it or not, require certain types of fuels to run their business. You shut that off, you shut this place off, you shut Germany off, and you shut the global supply chain off. And that's why we're here in Germany today and tomorrow to talk about the Nord Stream 1 pipeline. Appreciate it. All right, Brian Sullivan, thank you very much for the update there. A complicated story for sure. Let's now turn back to the markets, bring in Heather Billion, president and CEO of Diamond Hill. Uh, Heather, I mean, this whole market right now seems to be one that's trying to figure out whether or not the next leg is higher or lower. Do you feel constructive, more negative? And if so, what exactly are you doing to position for it? Hi, Dom. First of all, great to be here. Thanks. Uh, well, at Diamond Hill, we take a really long-term perspective. As intrinsic value investors, we're looking for opportunities where there's companies that are essentially priced for a pretty serious recession, and we can look to the other side of that and say, what is the long-term earnings power of this business? So if that's the case, where are you finding those? Is it stock-specific, or are there certain industries that stand out to you? There's a couple of, of themes, I'd say. Uh, first of all, you know, companies with strong competitive advantages where it's easier to forecast the earnings power of these businesses because it's easier to know how they're going to do relative to their competitors. And, um, you know, certainly I'd say businesses that I would call core functions of the underlying economy. So, um, you know, things like Caterpillar, where they're manufacturing the equipment needed to move things forward um, in the, you know, in the economy, as well as, you know, with regard to mining new, new rare earths and things like that. That's all critical part of everything that underlies the growth in the economy coming out of the technology sector. And then we're also seeing opportunities in things like Union Pacific, where, you know, it's it is the opportunity for those companies to be able to do well when anything sells. So it doesn't matter which parts of the economy are doing well. As long as anyone needs to move anything on the West Coast, Union Pacific is there. All right. So I, I think industrials, because I think Caterpillar and maybe even Union Pacific from a transportation standpoint, I wonder, we've just got a little bit of time left, Heather. I'd like to get your take on whether or not you feel like Netflix is a buy with intrinsic value right now and whether or not the banks are, given the earnings that we've seen? 
I definitely think there's a, a lot of companies that were, you know, we'll, we'll see a ton of earnings coming out over the next few days. And while I can't comment specifically on Netflix, I could say that if we're looking at the technology sector, we love to find companies that are really a fundamental part of the economy, similar to what I was talking about before. And so at Diamond Hill, we've been really interested in Google as an example of a company that we think has very strong long-term earnings power and growth. Sure. All right, Heather Billiant, we got to get you back for more because I want to hear more about these picks. But thanks for joining us this morning. We appreciate it. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 